0: and enjoy.
1: Good evening. Um, um, I I just want to say that I am here because this book is published. It's um, a fantastic book. It's incredibly beautiful. And I'm so glad everyone is here to celebrate Brent Armand Dicker's new book. This, I'm going to start by reading a piece that was collected um, mainly from a friend of mine who lives here in California. He grew up in Beverly Hills, and he's a, a black male lawyer. grew up across the street from um, Paul Newman. In fact, Paul Newman would come to his house with salad dressing and say, please taste this. Tell me what you think. So I, um, <laughs> I asked Rupert to tell me um, his stories in terms of uh, his connection to LAPD. And those stories became this piece. I knew whatever was in front of me was happening, and then the police vehicle came to a screeching halt in front of me like they were setting up a blockade. Everywhere were flashes, a siren sounding, and a stretched out roar. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Then I just knew. And you're not the guy and still you fit the description because there is only one guy who's always the guy fitting the description. I left my client's house knowing I would be pulled over. I knew. I just knew. I opened my briefcase on the passenger seat just so they could see. Yes, officer rolled around on my tongue, which grew out of a bell that could never ring because its emergency was a tolling I was meant to swallow. In a landscape drawn from an ocean bed, you can't drive yourself sane. So angry you are crying. You can't drive yourself sane. This motion wears a guy out. Our motion is wearing you out. And still, you're not the guy. Then flashes a siren, a stretched-out roar. And you're not the guy, and still you fit the description because there is only one guy who is always the guy fitting the description. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. I must have been speeding. No, you weren't speeding. I wasn't speeding. You didn't do anything wrong. Then why are you pulling me over? Why am I pulled over? Put your hands where they can be seen. Put your hands in the air. Put your hands up. Then you are stretched out on the hood, then cuffed. Get on the ground now. Each time it begins in the same way, it doesn't begin the same way. Each time it begins, it's the same. Flashes, a siren, the stretched out roar. Maybe because home was a hood the officer could not afford, not that a reason was needed. I was pulled out of my vehicle a block from my door, handcuffed and pushed into the police vehicle's back seat, the officer's knees pressing into my collarbone, the officer's warm breath vacating a face creased into the smile of its own private joke. Each time it begins in the same way, it doesn't begin the same way. Each time it begins, it's the same. Go ahead and hit me, motherfucker, fled my lips. And the officer did not need to hit me. The officer did not need anything from me, except the look on my face on the drive across town. You can't drive yourself sane. You're not insane. Our motion is wearing you out. You're not the guy. This is what it looks like. You know this is wrong, this is not what it looks like. You need to be quiet, this is wrong. You need to close your mouth now. This is what it looks like. Why are you talking if you haven't done anything wrong? And you're not the guy and still you fit the description because there is only one guy who is always the guy fitting the description. In a landscape drawn from an ocean bed, you can't drive yourself sane, so angry. You can't drive yourself sane. The charge the officer decided on was exhibition of speed. I was told after the fingerprinting to stand naked. I stood naked. It was only then I was instructed to dress, to leave, to walk all those miles back home. And still you're not the guy, and still you fit the description, because there's only one guy who's always the guy, fitting the description when he told me that story or those stories I I had never heard of Exhibition of Speed and apparently it's a charge the police uses it's actually a nice thing they use that charge when they illegally bring you in because you can have it thrown out If if you know the law if you don't it means drag racing so come on, who's drag racing? What you know, black middle-aged man is drag racing <laughs> <laughs> in L.A. So exhibition of speed. So if you ever get that, most of you are probably not worried. But if you do, you know how you know you can have it thrown out. Um, I I live in Claremont, and um, I walk. Most, most days, um, except for the days that I don't walk. <laughs> and um, I walk with a friend of mine and she's a white woman. And I said to her, tell me a story where you know, you know, indisputably that what you're doing you're doing because you're white and as we were walking up the, the mountain she said she told me a story and I said mm, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that's right yeah. and then she told me another story and I'm like uh, I don't know so by the time we got to the top there's a gazebo where you can rest by the time we got to the gazebo I figured this is going nowhere, and um, so I sort of gave up, and I was ready to talk about like house renovation, which is what, what you know people in Southern California talk about. <laughs> and then on our way down, she said, "Well, you know, there is one moment, but it doesn't happen here. It happens on the East Coast." When I'm on the East Coast, and I'm not in the kind of car culture of Southern California where we can privatize our space and not actually come up against other people. But on the East Coast, when I'm on trains and buses, and and I see a black man sitting on his own, I go and sit next to him. And I said, but I do that. So does it mean I, too, am a white woman? Um, but it was one of those moments where you realize what it meant was both of us were, in a sense, compensating for American culture. On the train, the woman standing makes you understand there are no seats available. And in fact, there is one. Is the woman getting off at the next stop? No. She would rather stand all the way to Union Station. The space next to the man is the pause in a conversation you are suddenly rushing to fill. You step quickly over the woman's fear, a fear she shares. You let her have it. The man doesn't acknowledge you as you sit down because the man knows more about the unoccupied seat than you do. For him, You imagine, it is more like breath than wonder. He has had to think about it so much, you wouldn't call it thought. When another passenger leaves his seat and the standing woman sits, you glance over at the man. He is gazing out the window into what looks like darkness. You sit next to the man on the train, bus, in the plane, waiting room, anywhere he could be forsaken. You put your body there in proximity to, adjacent to, alongside. You don't speak unless you are spoken to, and your body speaks to the space you fill, and you keep trying to fill it, except the space belongs to the body of the man next to you, not to you. Where he goes, the space follows him. If the man left his seat before Union Station, you would simply be a person in a seat on the train. You would cease to struggle against the unoccupied seat, when, where, why, the space won't lose its meaning. You imagine if the man spoke to you, he would say, it's okay, I'm okay, you don't need to sit here. You don't need to sit and you sit and look past him into the darkness, the train is moving through a tunnel. All the while, the darkness allows you to look at him. Does he feel you looking at him? You suspect so. What does suspicion mean? What does suspicion do? The soft gray-green of your cotton coat touches the sleeve of him. You are shoulder-to-shoulder to shoulder to standing. You could feel shadowed. You sit to repair whom? Who? You erase that thought. And it might be too late for that. It might forever be too late or too early. The train moves too fast for your eyes to adjust to anything beyond the man, the window, the tile tunnel, its slick darkness. Occasionally a white light flickers by like a display sound. From across the aisle tracks, room, harbor world, a woman asks a man in the rows ahead if he would mind switching seats. She wishes to sit with her daughter or son, you hear, but you don't hear, you can't see. It's then the man next to you turns to you, and as if from inside your own head you agree that if anyone asks you to move, you'll tell them, we're traveling as a family. That, that actually happened to me. It was kind of a, a gift not just the poem, but a gift a gift of solidarity I'm going to um, read two more poems, I'm going to end with a prose piece from earlier in the book, I um, Louise Gluck is up at um, Pomona to give a reading tomorrow night and or tomorrow afternoon at 4.15, this is a commercial and <laughs> in Crookshank Hall, and and um, Um, She just met my neighbor, so I'm going to read this piece. (laughs) You and your partner go to see the film The House We Live In. You ask a friend to pick up your child from school. On your way home, your phone rings. Your neighbor tells you he's standing at the window watching a menacing black guy casing both your homes. The guy is walking back and forth, talking to himself, and seems disturbed. You tell your neighbor that your friend, whom he has met, is babysitting. He says, no, it's not him, he's met your friend, and this isn't that nice young man. Anyway, he wants you to know, he's called the police. Your partner calls your friend and asks him if there's a guy walking back and forth in front of your home. Your friend says that if anyone were outside, he would see him, because he Is standing outside. You hear the sirens through the speakerphone. Your friend is speaking to your neighbor when you arrive home. The four police cars are gone. Your neighbor has apologized to your friend and is now apologizing to you. Feeling somewhat responsible for the actions of your neighbor, you clumsily tell your friend that the next time he wants to talk on the phone, he should just go in the backyard he looks at you a long time before saying he can speak on the phone wherever he wants. Yes, of course you say. Yes, of course. So that's one of the ways in which I think racism like fucks everybody up. Because, you know, my my uh, desire was to protect him from my neighbor. But the But that entailed curtailing his own freedom of movement. Um, So that was a lesson learned on my part. Sometimes protection is not exactly the thing you should be after. And I'm going to close with, you know, Serena Williams had this boycott going against Cindy and Wells. And she just ended it. So apparently she's going, um, she's going to play there this year. There, there, we don't know yet if her sister also intends to do that. So I'm gonna close with a section from an essay about uh, Serena Williams. What does a victorious or defeated black woman's body in a historically white space look like? Serena and her big sister Venus Williams brought to mind Zora Neale Hurston's I feel most colored when I'm thrown against a sharp white background. This appropriated line stenciled on canvas by Glenn Ligon, who used plastic letter stencils, smudged oil sticks, and graphite to transform the words into abstractions, seemed to be ad copy for some aspect of life for all black bodies. I can illustrate that. I'm going to. This is what um, Ligon's painting looks like. I just heard from him. That was very nice. Hurston's statement has been played out on the big screen by Serena and Venus. They win sometimes, they lose sometimes, they've been injured, they've been happy, they've been sad, ignored, booed mightily, see Indian Wells, which both sisters have boycotted since 2001. They've been cheered, and through it all, and evident to all, were... Those people who were enraged, they were there at all. Graphite against a sharp white background. For years you attribute to Serena Williams a kind of resilience appropriate only For those who exist in celluloid, neither her father, nor her mother, nor her sister, nor Jehovah, her God, nor Nike camp could shield her ultimately from people who felt her black body didn't belong on their court, in their world. From the start, many made it clear Serena would have done better, struggling to survive in the two dimensionality of a millet painting, rather than on their tennis court. Better to put all that strength to work in their fantasy of her working the land rather than be caught up in the turbulence of her ancient dramas like a ship fighting a storm in eternal landscape. And that also can be illustrated here. Thank you very much.
2: Oh my goodness hello Claudia oh, okay. uh, thank you so much for reading Claudia thanks everyone for being here um, if you have not bought Claudia's book yet please buy it today please read it it's an incredibly important book and gorgeous um, and Claudia just won the NAACP image award in poetry a couple days ago Um, I know I'm supposed to read my own poems. (laughs) That's what I'm here to do. But um, I'm really shaken by what the second person pronoun does in your book. Um, Because it's both intimate and, and not at the same time. And there's this incredible important tension and i really appreciate that and i appreciate the ways in which you're writing into straight into the numbness of the racism that is the baseline that of this country um and a lot of our actions so thank you um So my book is called The Ghost in Us Was Multiplying. Um, It's just out from Noemi Press. Um, They're a great press, New Mexico. Um, The cover is by the trans artist and activist Sam Lopes, who lives up in the Bay Area. I have loved this cover. I've loved this painting for a really long time, and I feel so grateful that... I've, I've known that this needed to be the cover of my book for a long time, and gratefully, Sam agreed. To share it um, so yeah um, just going to read poems now then okay <clears throat> this is called Castaways in the dream you have given me you're standing on a raft in the middle of a thunderstorm it's not so hard to fall in love with you you're holding my latest x-ray asking if I've been sleeping okay I know you think I'm one of them, the boys who woke to slow erasures, but honestly, I'm fine. Here I am, under my perpetual umbrella, raising a glass to how I'm lagging, as if my thirst were also your invention. Your instructions were easy enough to follow. You hid them at the bottom of a lake. This restlessness is a weather neither one of us can describe. If you look close enough, the opposite of desire begins to shiver. You're holding it in your hands. The sky takes off its roundness, and I'm swimming towards it, and you're not, and I won't when I belong. It's called xeriscaping, which means drought-tolerant planting. Thank you, Southern California, for teaching me things. The quietness after fucking filled the room with moths. A moth is when we stopped breathing long enough to be alive. What if X equals all the winged zeros we forgot on the way to how old we are divided by a drought? A thousand exhalations to spend the way we choose. What if we could? A thousand breaths a day. The remainder as what's human. A moth wakes up inside a piano like hearing without a mouth. Wild was the wind, a radio uninterrupted by air. Out there is unwritten, a noise. Inside is embarrassed and very late like a hospital. All those zeros falling down from the sky when I... A moth goes back to sleep. The problem with breath is breath is not a metaphor. The poet could live an hour or so outside his iron lung, maybe twice a week or only once a month. The problem with an hour, the problem with a zero. Above our heads we hold our metaphors, umbrellas fading in the sun, trying to steer it. It's practically desert, the slow, forgetful sky. I came to you by walking south, mailing my blood back north, knowing it would dry on my return address before it stained your hand. A stain, my zero, not the color you live in, but a bridge of wings to walk across, or a minefield. Behind a window, what is a friend outside the window? A bridge inside an envelope. Oh friend, what is a wing? A flat star to press against your face Careful not to bury it Careful in the thaw Sometimes it's only memory that listens hard. The wing or train fall down. Sometimes it's only winter to not relent a leaf. This bruise is who's inside it. You put me on your shelf, a hospital, from moths. Carefulness in the bruise, involuntary thaw. Under the freeway, you can sell your breath for a bucket of water, then pour the water in the river we turned upside down. The we that wasn't born here, a hand-me-down, a parable. Um, this is called History Lessons, and I just smiled because it mentions someone who works at a radio station. My boyfriend... The amazing Joe works at a radio station, but it's not him. This is a fiction. This, is, this person does not actually exist. Anyway, I don't know why I felt the need to say that. <laughs> Lighten it up. <laughs> History lessons. You ask, does the body know its own history? Sometimes it gets you mixed up with the people on the radio, but you can't seem to fall asleep without them. You bring home a stranger who tells you he works for the local station. Perhaps you've heard his show. It's cold in the apartment, but he asks you to open the window. He sits in the sill and watches you for hours. When you wake, all you have left is the static and the door propped open by what would what? what was once the breath of him. Your body, as if opening its shutters too quickly, it seems to go, but only fades in and out at intervals. A ghost craft. You follow its trail of invisible ink. You turn up the volume on the radio. You hear his voice. And behind his voice, you hear the bomb from 65 years ago. The day has come to remember it again and again. The definite article. But why not the breathing? Could it be that every bomb since then is just an echo? Then, an unmarked outcropping? You collide with it. Then, 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 then. At some point... You just stop counting. Every year is falling through the same unbroken window where breath is just geometry. A ghost craft whose wing is fixed in echo, whose weight is greater than the breathing of so many. The air it displaces, it comes looking for you. Um, and I, the next poem is called Landfall, and I've been thinking about this um, because... I don't know if folks have heard, there were two things in the news recently. So this poem is about the oil spill, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, which happened in 2010, but they recently found 10 million gallons of what was assumed to be missing oil, because oil can go missing. Um, It somehow combined with some of the other elements and sunk to the bottom Um, And it's there, and they're calling it an oil footprint. So, that's there. Um, And then, on Facebook, last week, someone posted, there's there's a job ad for Louisiana State University called the Shell Oil Endowed Chair in Oceanography and Wetland Studies. (laughs) What the... Anyway... (laughs) Um, so it wasn't shell it was BP originally but you know seriously okay Um, so I don't know maybe it'll be the Halliburton endowed chair of human rights next time I don't know Um, landfall shadow wings darken the meadow you and the oil slick remainder of you i sit outside the intercepted light and call out to the caption the you beneath you it's days of flight from my desk in california to where the cold angle shuts the photograph the shore louisiana There are three of you shrunk inside the camera, smaller than the crew the paper calls you, than a single lifeless wing with which you point to towns outside the map. A little to the south and west there's casualty, vows to keep directly to the east. An island forms invisibly, already scarred with ink. We pry open holes in the dark. It takes so long to learn to read them. A whirr of yellow feather stripes the window as if the tree itself were something I could look through, red dab above each eye. And how does color fall down on your face? The camera hides the circles of sky where you're still breathing. This is what I want a way to hear by color, the brush of something loved or feared that paints us closest to our capacity for witness, the bird who sleeps inside the eye. Are you the who who woke me? Or echo? On the radio, a transmission that's easier than bird call, Some sh- your shadow stuck in language. Someone remembers a day when birds eclipse the sun, He tells me, flocks divide one soul across their thousand flapping wings, the clipped flying in my chest, no color but remainder, the valves that could not usher flood, the too much soul or exile. Still bright, stilled bright thing, your eye is imperceptible, the witness, the blood from underground. Likely, this is not the only story you cannot feed your kids. The net you fill with hunger spills the shore. You lie here beside my handwriting, how we sliced you, your body, now a thousand sheets of paper devoted to a day. The day unfolds inside the heat where I can keep you. Each layer reveals the same retreat, the sand you've drained of all colors. Before you were hired or volunteered to do this, Who were these men to you? Where will you live now? And can you hear the way your voice has changed? It flowed over the edge of its container, your throat, repeating a sound you never made. The camera shut its eye on you. Now, sunset. Your kids, did they take turns walking the mile or so to the mailbox where the gravel gives way? Your father or his brother, was it he who spread the hot tar on the road? A fire skimmed off the derrick, the wind continues to stir the opaque fact, it won't evaporate on paper. The birds where I write to you, their short, loud spurts hung by tremolo. The way sun flakes off in slivers, kids can't keep away. They rub it on their fingers, hide it in their pockets. No act of nature bent you. It's hard to speak without cutting a square around you and calling that square your life. The pronoun where sky and sand places or your wing a shackle, your shadow all too near to you. You starved. Times flaps, the very wind that was your home. It makes your left wing almost flutter. The news unnamed you. It's spelled so large there in the corner. The times, as in there's more than one time, as in you lived inside some other, and how we count is not the same. They say... The sea itself is dying and we keep counting, not only turns and snapper, but I hear itself, the gulf, not only osprey, shoal, grass, mackerel, but the gap and the sea that fills it. And how do you grieve that? How do you grieve what can't be counted? To be slick with buried exhalations, a ghost with no container, a soul whose skin is nowhere, nowhere, creeping closer to the dock, your life... And livelihood broken off its hinges. It's your turn at the rake now, again. No gloves thick enough to guard you, but if you cut you, there's blood. So real, you want to pour it in a bottle to show your kids. I promise, when you get home, the sea still swims inside we who never lived in your time, to think that one day your bones might return to this after us, Earth's blood, the sky inside the deepest rock. Look at us, we blotted out your eyes. How long will it take for you to be see-through, so coated now in human want, the fuel we make of anything we don't know how to hear? Um, I need water. Uh, Just two more. Hi. (laughs) Okay. Um, So this poem is for Kenneth Wade Harding uh, who was shot by the police in San Francisco in 2011 for not having his bus fare. Um, It's called The Frequencies. Sometimes I think I'm a tree, the utility pole that history made of that yellow pine shipped west from the mills of Mississippi sheathed entirely in staples. Run your fingers up and down my little goalposts, those almost squares that cover me, anomaly as true as foliage, my stuck-in halos through which I was last seen at the yard sale on the corner of the concert on Thursday or the rally on Sunday for the eighth anniversary of the war or for the boy who was shot in the back when he tried to run away from the police. He was alive, and he didn't pay his fare, and he ran, and he was only 19, and no, the police say there is no say. Entirely. He was running before he even got on the bus. Ten times in the back. Ten times running. Entirely. In the late 15th century, the word for victim fell into someone's mouth, and he had and has and they a name. The police say their guns can't fire a shot like the one that know. They say it was he, it was the boy who know. There is no unpunctured anyone. What I mean is history. There is no completely stapled to the pine, no sentence whose edges have not been no, entire, despite the desire for grief to, a commonplace, a victim, a solitary not-them whose feather, whose etymology has not been a disintegrating. Time is always getting rained on and peeling, a who outlived by the tooth that put it there. A name fell into no. What does it matter the size of the caliber after ten times kills anything remotely resembling a him or a them? A who, caliber, the internal diameter of a name fell into someone's mouth. Gone. Ten times gone. The weight of all those wires above and the voices stuck inside them, and when are they going to fall? Um one last poem, this is called The Stencil On 18th Street near the corner of Gone is still going on a block away from 200 years ago and the underground stream of sorrows which came to name this neighborhood someone has written there is so much to mourn Negative space is carved, is prior, and palliative is the light it leaves on the sidewalk. The spray paint through a little paper window. There is the noun of not, and the sentence ends there, and that's why. So much breath is neither self nor shadow. Here is shrinking, There a permanence of there the past will begin at the time of this recording, a naming or a not how this water is unrecognizable the pavement if to make it happen backwards the sounds no longer show their faces if to hear them here bring them here thank you
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> so
3: much curious. <laughs> <laughs> um Jackie, I think your book is the most important book I've ever read and the most beautiful. And I sat and read it in one sitting. I couldn't believe really I was moved to tears. <coughs> Your writing on the Williams sister is the most profound writing I've ever experienced. And I'm ideally like educated. <laughs> um, will you help me read the second half of your book? I'm asking you an honest question. And I've really, I really I've relish this opportunity to ask you how can I read the second half of your book? Can you instruct me as a reader? Uh,
1: I, 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 the second half, meaning. Mm -hmm.
3: The second half, I felt not informed enough to
1: approach. You mean the, the, um, the conversation with the killings that happened in the second half? Is that specifically what you're referring to?
3: I'll take any advice you give me for approaching the second half of your book. Because what you're doing is so rare and so never approached. I think
1: whatever you say. Okay. But I, 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 I I'm 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 just trying to figure out exactly which poems you're because for me it's a whole, so I, I don't really think about it as the first half or the second half. But what's in the latter part of the book um are pieces that address specific um, transgressions in our society against the black male body and wanting to look at what it means to have a body that's been criminalized or seen as such. So I think that's happening in the second half. Also, there's a sort of exploration of feeling. So the more lyric pieces um, embody what it means for the lyric, for the public space to have invaded the private space and redefined how one thinks about oneself and how one thinks about being a body in this world. So that happens also in the second half. I mean, one of the things that I I was thinking about when I worked on the book um, was that a few things could happen. One of them is that it could be a curatorial space so that the art could come in and be in conversation with the, um, the text. The other thing was that it could be an archival space so that... Um, information around these lost bodies could be pulled back into the public imagination. And and um, that's why Zora Neale Hurston is, is a figure that I like um, because she went around and collected stories um, from African Americans. And so maybe that is a way of thinking about it, that it's a, it's a form of an archival moment of pulling back what could be lost in terms of the memory of our collective memory, in terms of our collective memory around um, these black bodies that seem to be disposable. Thank
0: you. Yes, I have a question for you. I'm curious about which poets
2: you read and your journey. Hey. Claudia Rankin <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: let's see um you the oh he wanted to know which poets we read as we began the journey of writing our books um well, it's been a long journey, so I can just say the poets that I have been reading for a while um Brenda Hillman, Juliana Spar, uh, Banu Kapil, Claudia. Um, yeah, that's those are immediate people in my mind.
1: Well I you know, I have the honor of having in the audience my my professor when I was in college. And um so I grew up with Louise Glick's work and um so it's you know has been um quite formative for me. also um, Robert Haas's work um uh Cesar Vallejo I, I you know, adore Vallejo for his um, for the ways in which feeling the exploration of feeling um, stands for reality so he has this one line that I often think about I don't know why but um, he goes off to Paris and he comes back home and he says my father's wife is in love with me uh it's because she you know, because he's now a traveled man, but it's it's a beautiful moment. So he's he's somebody I I I love. I also love a lot of um um critics. So right now I, Lauren Ballant's work is very important to me, Judith Butler. Um Ab- always James Baldwin. Um yeah.
2: I might also want to add for myself, um, Paul Salon has been really important. Um, I think reading Paul Salon taught me that brokenness could be a way of saying something that couldn't be said otherwise.
1: Um. Yeah, I'm piggybacking. (laughs) You know, one of the things that Paul Salon does that I love is that after, um, in the poems, especially in the later poems, he never represents the body as a whole thing. So it's always in fragments. To, so I, yeah, I agree about that brokenness. Um, and Rilke.
2: And actually, not a poet at all, but Simone Weil. All
1: right. <laughs> We're just gonna keep doing it. 25 minutes. <laughs> but she kind of is a poet. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions?
3: Um. The lyric essay as a form is, is so hip. It's you know, but you're breaking ground with it and making it accessible in a way that previous masters of it haven't been able to achieve with it. How would you see the form? Where would you like? How would you like to see the form working for you?
1: Well, I think it's working for me now um, in terms of the way in which I feel it's open. It's an open form. Um, um, you know, it's hard for me to imagine what I would do next inside that form until I do it. Uh, right now, the ways in which I have used it, I used it because. It seemed to address the issues that I wanted to address, and I, the the use of image coming in where it can, the way that narrative works, the way that um, the essay can argue, and then the the prose poems can present anecdotal, you know. So all of those things um, worked for this project the next project whatever it is um, will have its own set of demands and then um, then I will see what the form can do for me at that point
3: Hi um, I'd love to hear I, both books I know both books and uh, choices of words and where they are seem very like Chosen, obvious. I'd like to hear about shaping the absences in both of these pieces because um, the quietnesses seem so shaped and um, somewhat, di- it's very different from other books I've read of yours. Um, and um, I'm curious about your shaping, it, 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 your shaping of absences or of the earth and how you thought of that in these two works. And if you didn't,
2: sorry. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the poems are thinking of it. Yeah. Um, I don't mean for that to be a cop out, but um, I think that's a very beautiful question. I I don't know how consciously okay. that was happening that for me. To be an like no, 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 no. I no, mean, no. I think it's
1: a really You know, it's funny because I don't think I was thinking the word absences. I was thinking about silence. I was thinking about um, the ways in which um, white space functions as time. Uh, The placing of the images were really meant to lock down the space so that one wanders through the white space but can't leave the page and also can't leave the subject because the images then re-engage it in another way. So they were meant to be rest points that disallowed disentanglement. Just, you know, reposition. Really different from the Exactly. No, this was this was more the tennis court. This was more the one thing hitting back on the other thing and keeping you on that court. And so in that sense it was very conscious and very thought about in the design of the book. Yeah? Can I piggyback on my own?
3: Mm-hmm. How much do either of you think about the turning of the page as part of that space or as part of that timing when...
1: I don't know if you design I I don't know how much. No, I design my 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 husband and I um design the books. And um the original draft of uh Citizen had slashes to indicate that these were almost sections of a long poem and the editor um wanted the slashes taken out and they were ultimately <coughs> taken out. But yes, every the timing and pacing of the reading experience is something that one thinks about even if one can't control it.
3: Um, Claudia, I'm um, and I wanted to ask uh, towards the later part of the book um, there's a lot of uh, issues that talk about or are prefaced by it's a video situation or situation video, so I was wondering about that I've seen um, one of your Want to kind of illustrate these um, scenarios in the video, and what was the idea for that? And is it something that you're doing more
1: and more? And why do you feel about that? Well, the citizen, the the um the videos came about because my, and quite honestly, because my husband is both a photographer and a filmmaker, and so we could, you know, the little train that could, and so we did, and so we did, but um. I think they began out of a documentary impulse or, you know, because you were thinking, one of the things about um, racism is that it's, it's founded on perception, right? If we couldn't see each other, then we would have to come up with tone of voice or something. You know, which actually does also work. But, um, so, Katrina, it was, you know, you saw those images of all those people. You're like, what the fuck? And what you saw was a sea of black people. I mean, not that there weren't poor whites also involved, and, but, but there were a lot of black people in those neighborhoods at the time. And, um, is on another of the Situation videos, it had to do with watching the interaction between those two men. And the moment of impact, so the moment of event, became a moment that as a body you were waiting, especially once you knew it was happening, right? you know, in the repeat, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting for the impact. And so the event, and then how does one read the event? But it's tied to perception. It's like, you see it. And the Zidane video was fascinating because it was misread. And so in the book, I don't include what was actually said. I include the misread, you know, the the lip reader's reading of um, the soccer players. Uh, comments. Partly because that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what, what happens when we deal by seeing. You know? I actually have a question for about, about pertaining to your position in Pomona, College. As a student,
0: I'm interested in how you see your work in seeing <coughs> Institution you work in, and then also the field um, that you can focus on. Yes, you. um, Pit sir. Henson, To both of you, but Brent has some environmental
2: um, as well as other kind of tensions uh, in your writing. Um, I'm just curious how how you see yourself impact, like having an impact on on the institution itself. Yeah. What are the students that you come in contact? Um. So, I teach at Pitzer College, which is so there are five colleges in Claremont, and Claudia teaches at Pomona. I teach at Pitzer, and my student Zoe is here. Thank you.
0: Um,
2: well, oh my goodness. Um, what I mean, what to do with that? That's a big question. Um, Well, I think that teaching makes you hear your own work much more closely um, the kinds of advice that you give someone makes you think about what would happen if someone were to give you were to give you that advice or were to have given you that advice um, I don't know that I'm answering your question um, you know I mean I one of the things that I love about teaching is that my students write poems that I can't write, and I get really sick of my own voice. So that's a good thing. Um, well,
1: you know, I have, I, <laughs> we have shared students a lot. We Brent students are mine, so I can speak to Brent. <laughs> um, what Brent gives to his students is the, you know, the ability to explore areas and experiment, and be introduced to writers that are sometimes not in the center of the canonical um, world. And and I think that the students really respect that and really thrive under the kind of freedom. And also the sort of social aspect, which goes... Um, is a part of Pitzer's mission statement, but I think that you also, you know, it becomes part of the agenda of the class, and so the writing gets influenced by the knowing, the, the attention to what's going on in the world, yeah? So, and I know this because his students come to my class next, because <laughs> they're out looking, you know, they, they so love... What Brent has done that they want another writing class, and so they they come and 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 work at Pomona in my own classes. I feel like part of my why me you know like me versus somebody else is uh, you know i I have an ear out for class race, sexism, so those things are going to come up in the class and um, as well as as well as all the other things that one to happen in in those classes in terms of um, formal training but, but there is also for me a kind uh, um, a dedication to bringing that to the fore because it is unconscious in all of the work and it's not that I feel like I'm pushing an agenda I just feel like I'm bringing uh, a magnifying glass to the um, <coughs> the ways in which those things are taken for granted.
0: Thank you. I, I was very moved to hear it. I noticed. That on acknowledgement pages now. <laughs> the list of names is
1: swelling, and swelling <laughs> as if to say, in the absence of a canon
0: or the willingness to assert a canon, there should be a community instead with each book, and that each book will name its community and provide, in a way, a reading list the consciousness of the reader instead of elusiveness a list if you want to know me read these things this is my community
2: is that true for you? this is what I'm suspecting I mean partially but you you know someone whose work I immediately thought of when you said that is C.D. Wright She always does that at the end of her books, and I love that very much. Um, I mean, some of the people on the list are in this room. Some of them are writers. Some of them are not. Um, I just put their names alphabetically (laughs) to try to be as, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But yes, some of them are writers, and so, yes, you might find their work through me. But they're all people with whom, you know, who I not only have an admiration for their work, but I actually have um, shared my work with.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, those names are there because they helped me. They are my community. They're my readers. They're people who the work goes to and I get on the phone, I'm like, what, 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 what do you, you know. Um, So, yeah, that, but I also think within, uh, for uh, you know, in Citizen, there's a way in which I also felt responsible to the influences that produce the work, and so I wanted them folded into the text so that there is a kind of, Archival is not the right word, but a, a kind of bibliographic <laughs> extension. So one could move out to Judith Butler, or one could move out to Lauren Ballant, or to Baldwin, or to Homer Baba, and find more. Find more.
0: It felt less threatening somehow <laughs> than the history of difficult poetry where you don't know the reference. It seemed more like an invitation to discover the reference.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, um, Eliot, uh, there was a lot of um, insistence on it, but through the back door, right? And um, I think I don't know. I think there's a kind of um, it's important to me that you know that I read Judith Butler because Judith Butler does something that's important to me. And, you know, so I think there there is a lot of pointing going on. I think Elliot's idea was that um, it's there, but it's it, but it's not, but it's there. And if you're educated enough, you'll know it's there. You'll find it. Um, I don't, I don't think it's, it's necessarily about a game of finding out who knows or who doesn't know. For me, it's more what you say. It's a sense of community and this is the community to, to which I belong.
0: stanza or prose in terms of you commit to a prose poem that that's what that was going to be or you start somewhere like oh I started prose we're going to go stanza on this how do you get to a stanza or prose poem? Is that pre formulated or it just happens?
2: Uh, both <laughs> um, I mean I've been mo- I've been writing mostly in stanzas for a long time but now I'm writing in sentences you know there there are some there are a few prose poems in this book. Um, a lot of what I've been doing right now are prose poems, that they're not in this. Um, how do I explain? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, that was how I was trained. That's what I was used to. And then I started to write things that felt like they needed to be sentences. Um, but I also wanted to trouble the sentences. Um... If that makes sense
1: there's a, there's probably a right answer that I don't quite have <laughs> at the tip of my tongue right now but um but I do think that th- there's a, a way in which for me the content informs the form you know the the you know let's 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 go back to Olson. there is no form of that content you know so If what I'm doing is telling a story and I need the sentence, I'm going to use the sentence. If um, the way it feels like I need the line, if I want the enjambment, if I want the moment to work in that way, if I want to double deal, I'm going to be in the lyric. Um, But if I'm working, if I'm working, along the lines of this is what happened or this is how it happened or this is, this is a thing that lives inside of a narrative, then I'm gonna work in prose.